0: This episode of the Political Worldview Podcast is funded by the University of Birmingham's Alumni Impact Fund. For more information on this and other projects, please visit birmingham.ac.uk forward slash alumni. Hello world, welcome to the Political Worldview Podcast, September 5th, 2017, the Are You Really in Charge edition. I'm Adam Quinn, Senior Lecturer in International Politics at the Political Science and International Studies Department of the University of Birmingham. We're back after our customary late summer break, so welcome back to our returning listeners of whom we know and hope there will be many. Thanks for sticking with us, and uh, we've got a great year ahead. We'll also be joined, we are conscious, by a whole bunch of new listeners who may have turned up here and been propagandized at uh, by one route or another, uh, by us directly or by those acting on our behalf. To tune in, give us a a try. Hello to all of you. Uh, Don't worry, it's going to be a fun ride. We'll explain all the rules as we proceed. I'm joined, as usual, by my two most regular co-hosts, one is Cristalia Kinthi, a Birmingham Research Fellow. Say hello to the world out there, Cristalia.
1: Hello, world out there.
0: And hope... all the new people too.
1: And hello to all the new people too. I feel like a little parrot on, on Adam's shoulder. Hello, <laughs> please world. please hope... repeat all the words that I say to you <laughs>
0: in the precise tone and manner of my instruction.
1: I am unable to replicate your tone and manner, Adam. That is unique to you. But I welcome all of our new and re- returning listeners and hope that you had a lovely summer. I know that I did.
0: Yes, lauding it, anyone? Of course, <laughs> uh, 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 you had uh, uh, the summer to beat them all. I, I think, That's true. but we'll, we'll let listeners wonder about what might have happened that was wonderful in your summer until another time. No Dot point. dot dot. Yes, uh, they, they can. Uh, they can. Uh, google around or something to find out if they like uh, and we are joined also by professor scott lucas who is a professor of international politics and also the editor of news and commentary site ea Worldview, which google can
2: also help you with how are you doing scott well as good as can be expected in this tr- trumpian era uh yeah i have to say that head is still barely above water let's hope it doesn't sink in the next 60 minutes
0: is that, a, is that a reference to donald trump 's presidency or to your teaching timetable
2: uh, I would hope that donald trump 's presidency in fact uh, is like would sink as fast as I can rise with this esteemed company that i 'm keeping.
0: Okay, laying it on thick to launch the to launch the but much appreciated, Scott. And today uh, we are joined, because of the topics that we have chosen, by a, a very welcome special guest, by Anthony Hopkins, who is not a professor of fava beans and nice chianti, uh, but of British politics. Or a a lecturer in British politics uh, uh, might be the more... uh, In in American money, you're a professor, (laughs) but your your title is not professor. You're a lecturer in British politics, correct? Um, Yeah, I think I'll I'll be there for a while, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, keep at it. Uh,
3: Keep at it, Anthony. Thanks very much for being with us. How are you doing? Thanks for having me here. It's good to be here. Um, Not too bad, thank you. Yes, digesting lots of events from this week. Um,
0: Yes, well, hold that digestion (laughs) for just one moment, and we will get to it, because uh, those who are new listeners may wish to become acquainted with uh, the rules of the road. Uh, We tend to cover two topics each week. We'll do those in sequence, uh, and then we'll split them up in the middle with a little fun round we like to call number of the week, which lets us smuggle in something that we wanted to talk about. But uh, uh, either didn't win the argument to get on the main agenda or, or didn't think we could stretch to fill it. Our two topics today, first... Jeremy Corbyn's Labour tries to get serious about the possibility of government, and Theresa May endures a Conservative Party conference and a leader's speech straight from Satan's own select reserve of torture. How did the parties trade places in their fortunes so suddenly? Second, Donald Trump has got through the first few months of his presidency without having to deal with any major emergencies not of his own making. But with an escalating standoff in Korea, a natural disaster in Puerto Rico, and a mass mass shooting in Las Vegas, the question is being asked with more sharpness. Can America work when the president is out of his depth? This time last year, it seemed like the Conservatives were setting the course for another decade at least in power. The internal enemies of Theresa May as Prime Minister were scattered and cowering as she dominated all before her. One snap general election, an unexpected loss of its parliamentary majority later, and the party is riven with divisions on open display in the press throughout this conference season. And that was before Theresa May delivered what will surely be remembered as one of the most accident-prone and tragicomically awful leaders' speeches in history uh, yesterday. Labour's Jeremy Corbyn, meanwhile, who only survived a no-confidence vote from his MPs and a leadership challenge just over a year ago, appears to have his party entirely in his grip and to be getting serious, at least more serious than he'd ever had to be before, about actually being in government. How did it come to this and where from here? So... Anthony, you're our um, British politics guy and a real-life conservative as well. Um, we're all still slightly shaken by the, the detonation of Theresa May's political credibility on the stage before us yesterday. Um, there have been some pretty unlucky leaders in politics over the years, and there have also been some pretty bad ones, and likewise... Leaders' conference speeches. Um, it seems like Theresa May may be both, and this speech was both. Uh, but uh, I don't want to hem you in too much. Tell me what you thought.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I don't think Napoleon would want her as a general, uh, would he? If you were if you were looking for for lucky generals. No, I mean it, it. It's a really strange situation. And as you said, if you if you ask someone a year ago, could you envisage being where we are now? They just wouldn't believe you. Um, but again, there are it 's obviously built up the election, of course, completely undermined the thing that Theresa May was famous for strong, determined, decisive leadership, mm-hmm. which very little of uh, of that actually appeared during the election campaign and once you lose the reputation for the thing you 've been chosen for it 's always going to be an uphill task to get it back. I'm sure we all saw the headlines before the conference this week about this was a chance for a relaunch, for a rebranding. She could try to g- gain some credibility back.
0: In fact, the, ne- the, the, the day after it all happened, um, I, uh, I went on my Facebook and I looked at one of Robert Peston's big, long uh, Facebook mm. uh, status updates that he does about the conference. It was, it was 14 hours old at that point, and it was uh, it goes this big, long description of all the problems the party's facing and the tone of the conference, and then it concludes by saying, "So you can see why this speech is the." most important that Theresa May will ever have to deliver to try and rein, reinvigorate her party and her leadership and generally get the show back on the road. Uh, I can't imagine the pressure and the stress she must be under. And yes. it, like, it made like... You know when you read something that just takes on this terrible, tragic weight after, yes. after the event? It, it read like that because yeah, I've never seen anything quite like it.
3: No, I, I don't think any of us have ever seen a conference speech get quite as bad. Should, should we on.
0: actually, just for the benefit of those who didn't... Um, who didn't see it let's itinerize the ways in which this speech was not as she would have wished it to yeah. be
3: yeah I, and get well I mean there's the several things it, you think I for those of you who haven't seen it you'll probably think I'm making this up if anyone hasn't seen it but uh, it started off it seemed reasonable it, on course and then all of a sudden someone stands up uh, a Brodkin, is it Simon Brodkin? I've, I've forgotten his, his name but the, uh, the, the, the prankster slash comedian with a fake P45 from With Love from Boris on it uh, which she stands and looks a bit shaken by and doesn't immediately respond with a joke, she does shortly afterwards but again it looked like she, that, that that shook her up a little bit uh, and, and, then, then and then
0: everything paused for a while as yes. security kind of ushered yep. him out in like this weirdly yep. quiet, long drawn out yes. manner. That, that was yep. like You can see him berserking. mouthing some
3: things, but but not not all of it. And again, you, ha- you could. There are pictures in the press of him having a word with Boris and David Davis, looking like he he wants to do a Prescott on him and, and <laughs> punch him, but. But of mm-hmm. course, he's more restrained, right? So, um, I mean, so
0: this would have been this would have been bad and been somewhat bad derailing in itself. But this was very much just the beginning.
3: Yeah, and of course, Tory conferences for those of us who've been, the security is incredibly tight, especially as they were the party that had the Brighton bomb. I mean, party conference security is supposed to be very, very tight. I don't know how he got to the front. I'd be interested to know because that's usually reserved. But yes, and then it gets worse. So it, she she sort of seems to recover, cracks a joke. Uh, and then her voice starts to break and she starts to cough and not, not too bad at first but then it just gets worse and worse and she has to stop and have a, a few drinks and then she has to have more water brought on then she has to have a sweet from the Chancellor She cough spills suite. the water over herself She spills the water and so there's these pictures of her struggling to drink the water <laughs> And again, you, you get the party standing up to give standing ovations to give her more time. And... Which
1: I thought was, let me interject, was very, very British. Mm-hmm. I have not ever seen anything like that so decorous as, as an audience kind of in tune, standing up to give to yep. give their speaker a, a standing ovation to give them time to recover. Yes. I, that is specifically I think, British.
3: Absolutely. I think it was led by the cabinet who could see what was going on. And, mm. um,
0: so... There was a great moment where uh, Amber Rudd, uh, who was the Home Secretary yep. still, I believe, was captured on camera standing up for one of them, telling Boris Johnson <laughs> to her, uh, the Foreign Secretary, "Get up," uh, in order to in order to join them in doing it. Uh, Boris Johnson, who has. For the last two or three weeks, basically, been using the Telegraph newspaper as a uh, his one man canon to advertise his uh, lack of faith in Theresa May's leadership. Oh, I don't know. He said she was himself.
3: wonderful in his speech. I mean, he was full of praise for her in the, in his conference speech. But uh, mm. yeah, no, I, absolutely. And uh, you, you, you sort of those of us who who remember the two thousand and three Tory conference when the party repeatedly stood up to give Ian Duncan Smith standing ovations when he was coughing on stage and struggling. <laughs> this is a real trend.
1: This has happened yeah, before? But yeah, I mean, it wasn't
0: well, n- as bad. Nothing, nothing, No, yeah, he, he used to get stressed out, and his voice would kind of weaken a bit, yeah. which led led to him. Little coughs. Yeah, yes, it was all very unfortunate. So, the, And the final thing, just as if all of yep. that wasn't bad enough, as she was talking, uh, the slogan which was on the wall behind her attached in, like, adhesive letters, which said something like, a better Britain, a fairer Britain for everyone, a better, a Britain, better Britain, Britain for everyone. For country country yeah, for yeah. yeah, I, I forgot uh, f- for a better country for everyone, or something like that. Yes. Uh, first one, and then another letter in that slogan <laughs> first slid and yes. then fell from the sign, yep. visibly on the camera yep. behind her. So, which, which is the one that was absolutely nothing to do with her at all, and therefore, how could you hold her responsible? Except in that kind of you know, everywhere you go, there you are, yes. kind of ways that it does disaster seems to follow her around. Yep. She brings the weather, so all of that. You know, came in the context of her needing to do above averagely well in order to restore her her authority. Can we now conclude that that even the project of keeping her propped up like weekend at Bernie's uh, as as a kind of leader for the next eighteen months or so, which is the plan, is now going to come under a great deal of strain because what little authority there was is just gone. People, people are going to start feeling sorry for her. They are feeling sorry for her. And once you get to that point, you know that the bloody chum really is in the water and the sharks are going to come and second. Yeah. I mean, again, to, to, to compare it to another period, we're almost
3: in that sort of 1990s situation where people openly express their sympathy for John Major trying to lead the party at that stage. And that's, it's a terrible position to be in. I think... There are clearly some sharks circling, but it's still a fairly limited number by most accounts. And of course, it's 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 almost a catch twenty two, really difficult position because uh, I'm not even sure if she would want to stay on after all of these things that have happened. But she's not having a lot of fun. That no, is, I, I'm that sure is she clear. isn't. It must be pretty awful for
0: her. I mean, like, even, I, I don't like the Conservative Party all that much, but I still, when I see her talking at this point, like, feel like saying, "Are you okay?" Yeah, like, that that's the vibe yep. that she's giving off. Yep. And and I think she's,
3: again, it's almost a reversal of position where you've got those Corbynites around Corbyn desperately trying to keep him on a year ago against the will of quite a few of his own MPs. Now you seem to have quite a few around Theresa May trying to keep her on because there is no certainty about who they would want as a successor. I mean, we're in a very rare position where there is no clear, single, obvious successor uh, in a party and if the if, if were there a, a clear successor i think she'd be uh, in real real trouble right now and probably be gone but there isn't there are these divisions about exactly what the party would like to see with brexit uh, again the uncertainty of what can be achieved once they've agreed on those positions mm. uh, and disputes over who could possibly do a better job so it's she's almost in a catch 22 position she can't get herself out of this mess but at the same time the party can't find someone better to to replace her with
0: which speaks ominously to like the government of the country over the next while right like if 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 there is this level of uncertainty over authority and positions within the party and there is also to put it mildly a fraying discipline around the expression of that in public, then it's going to become very difficult to keep the railroad running on a on, on a kind well. of day-to-day governance basis, isn't it? Well, I don't know.
3: I I mean, they've been pretty good so far. I mean, you, you get some disputes in the press, but in terms of voting and turning up and saying the right things at the right time, this party has been far more loyal than it was in the 1990s, where you had the group of really vocal, determined critics of the government. And because of the small majority they don't have much power to exercise their muscles. So despite this lack of authority in parliamentary terms, Theresa May still has a degree of security, or the government still has a degree of security, because uh, of the electoral maths, and the, the prospect that if they do anything, we might end up with a Corbyn government.
0: So... I don't know. Which is a pretty big deterrent to the conservative 's It's a massive party deterrent. They, again, they, they, they used to think he was hilarious, but yeah. like, underline that is the, the assumption that he would be absolutely catastrophically yes. terrible for the country. Yes. So. And again, you know, that's probably a
3: different kind of threat than the Tory party faced in the 1990s when Blair was the opponent. And let's be honest, quite a few Tories themselves would have said, well, he's not hugely different to us, whereas Corbyn is a whole different scale of magnitude. So there are lots of things that will help them keep party discipline. And... I don't know. In terms of the Brexit negotiations, there are disputes over what they would like to achieve, but that maths will help keep those to some degree in check. Whether it will make the job of negotiating it harder, again, I don't really know because it's... It's, it's a bit hard to pin down exactly what they'd like and it's a mm. bit hard to pin down exactly what Europe will give us. This is the And it's, kind of,
0: it's hard, kind of hard to see how you could make it harder in a way because it's already so incredibly hard that I'm not yeah. sure there's scope for it to get more difficult. Well,
3: I'm not sure it, Again, it's a, it's a massive challenge to face in this situation. But I'm, I'm, it's one of these perverse things. In normal circumstances, you would say this would completely destroy a government. But it doesn't because of the unique mm. situation of being a minority party, which is keeping discipline... Uh, at a time when we're facing pretty big issues, hmm.
0: we, we, we want to give Labour some time, in due course, or bring us onto it. But uh, do either of the other two want to take a moment to um, dance around politica, uh, Theresa May's potential political grave before we uh, before we do that?
2: I want to test out a couple of things because I I think Weekend at Bernie's is quite right. I think she's being propped up, but that raises a couple of questions. I mean, first of all. Does anybody actually want to talk about the substance of the speech? <laughs> <laughs> because I found it really interesting that the two, if anyone noticed the substance, the two headline items are, are a repositioning, where it's like, okay, first of all, we're going to have a cap on energy bills, which, of course, had been floated by Ed Miliband when he was Labour leader. And, then and it walked-
0: decried as the first step on the road to serfdom by many, uh, by many well, uh, in the Conservative Party at the time. Which is a different type of cap. But- uh,
2: right. And the second was that uh, you know an investment of uh, two billion pounds into uh, uh, into housing. Now, uh, obviously, I think with the optics influenced by the, the response to the Grenfell Towers disaster, which makes me think that in a way the Conservative Party they realized where they screwed up in the election, uh, which some people had pointed out, which was can you reliably deliver public services mm-hmm. and Instead of running as the Brexit and Immigration Party, can you deliver public services? And Labour sort of stole that away with the manifesto. So here it looks like May's trying to reclaim it, and then of course that effort is completely undercut by what we talked about for the past yeah. few minutes. Yeah, I mean we
0: should we shouldn't oversell the scale and ambition of those policies. I mean they, they realized that they've clearly realised that when the category of young people who don't vote conservative is like starting to top out at 50 uh, (laughs) years of age uh, you know that that you really need to work on where your electoral coalition is coming from so they're deciding they're going to not increase tuition fees they're talking about putting money into the assistance scheme to help people buy housing that's already on the market but like stuff like Reducing tuition fees, or God forbid, using public funds to build more houses to affect the supply side of the housing market—these things, um, uh, if the party gets to them eventually, they seem to be—they do- they don't seem to be doing it now.
2: No, I mean, this, look, let's be honest. This is not a return to an embrace of the pre Thatcher welfare state. I mean, this is this is political calculation that they've got to grab. In fact, what May identified, which is quote, traditional working class voters, where the, the Tories still see this opportunity to peel these folks and have been peeling some of these folks away mm-hmm. from labor.
0: Make some kind of an offer that yeah. makes some economic sense as well as just some cultural reactionary yeah. sense to exactly. people who aren't really rich and over fifty.
2: Right. Yeah. And and it, and had you know had the speech gone well and that's focused on it, I think that makes it interesting, but that still raises two questions for me, especially in light of what Anthony said. So kick back. The first is look, Brexit's an albatross. I mean, it, it, it's interesting that it wasn't featured that much in the speech yesterday. Um, the, Britain has no leverage in the Brexit negotiations. But, but absolutely
1: why would they – I mean, why would she bring it up in the speech? Well, well that's what I disaster, mean, but the problem is – Would you like
0: a glass of water, Crystal? I, you know, I, like had, a stre- I
1: had a strep moment today in my lecture really? – and uh, and someone called it a Theresa May moment. So it is very. <laughs> that, that's that's pro- where we've got
2: to now. Forever <laughs> It's
1: a twenty-four hour turnaround. Well, no
2: glass has fallen out of the windows behind you, so we're not quite there yet. But I that's. I think that's my point, Christelle, Is when you say, "Well, why would she mention it?" But the fact is, that doesn't mean the issue's there. You can, you know, it's there. You yeah. can't Elephant make it go away. Yeah. Which raises, I think, the question: of What Anthony's saying is, is, is is there another would-be Tory leader that wants to step in amidst? that uncertainty that's the first question and the second is while uh, i think it's telling you that you say well there's there's no obvious successor at least the media are promoting two alternatives which is either mm-hmm. you go for uh, you go for kind of the wacky public schoolboy boris johnson or you go for the 18th century public schoolboy jacob rees mogg
1: what about hmm. amberad
0: yes she's the um, but, she, yeah she she will likely be the the leading candidate of the whatever one wants to characterize it as the softer on Brexit, liberal uh, <laughs> faction, to the extent that either of those concepts has meaning within the Tory party's parameters.
2: But is she ready to... I agree with you. But is she ready to step up? Oh, right? she, yeah. Oh, she would want the job. I mean, okay. the, the, the,
3: there are several big worries about Amber Rudd. One is the fact she has a majority of about 1,000, which for a party leader who will be targeted with a decapitation strategy come the next election, that's <laughs> a big worry. And because she was very prominent on the Remain side, there are worries about whether other mm-hmm. factions in the party will be very keen on her. So she would she, I, I'm pretty sure, as Adam said, she would be probably the leading candidate at the moment from her wing of the party.
0: Christelle, I wanted to ask you uh, a question. Remember this time last year when we were talking about the Conservative Party conference, there was the famous uh, passage uh, discussing citizens of nowhere and this idea that people um, uh people who were not citizens of britain both literally and in their enthusiasm for a very robust patriotic conception of citizenship in the conservative point of view were not real people in some sense operating within the confines of 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 britain i know you like focus on questions of identity and nationality and the sources of strife that can arise from them like is is it a source of um is, it, is is it a source of uh, satisfaction to you that apparently one of the main reasons why the Conservative Party lost a lot of its support over the course of the last year is that people who consider themselves socially liberal, John Curtis was here talking to us last week, swung hard away from them, mm-hmm. and that maybe we were all here saying, well, this is terrible, but it's probably going to work well electorally. doesn't seem like it's worked out great. Losing social liberals is a problem even for the Conservative Party.
1: I guess there there are two things there. One is... In her speech and in the conservative approach to, to this question of identity and minorities and pressing social issues, it seemed to me like they sh- like they should have done, this is a very naive thing to say, but they should have done more research. How is it that, that she came out with these half-hearted platitudes almost stolen from Miller Bland. Miller Bland. <clears throat> had- Can I coin that? Right, Has that been right. said before? You, you've got like a, a,
0: a headline writer <laughs> yeah. inside you struggling <laughs> to get out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the inner, inner funnier sensationalist. Than isn't funnier me. than
0: anything that Theresa May managed to say yesterday. <laughs> well, it's not it a high bar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, it, given the striking lack of... The the obviousness of the absence of the citizens of nowhere... why did they not? Is it that they don 't know how to reach out to anyone beyond like a white middle class or upper class audience it, 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 struck, it struck me that was the thing that struck me yesterday is How is it that you know that your electorate the people that you 're missing are young and people of color and in all of those other segments that we were talking about last year of society and yet you cannot formulate anything meaningful to say to those groups, even in your desperation. Mm-hmm. To, to to reach out across the across the, and take the Labour vote. That's the first thing. And the second is that no one it doesn't make me happy, no one wins from this. And we if I can if I can say we um, as as a British kind of series of cultures within this um, great place. Mm-hmm are uh, more fragmented than ever so the need i think to speak across cultural and economic boundaries is is greater than ever and the absolute leaving leaving the labor party leadership to one side the 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 obvious lack of ability to speak to those things is more and more harmful every day
0: yeah and we'll, i mean within the context of the tory party's internal conflicts George Osborne and David Cameron, whatever their other uh, flaws, Anthony, they did a huge amount of heavy lifting during their early period of controlling the party to try and reach out to affluent members of ethnic minorities, socially liberal people, dragged the party over the line to a parliamentary majority in the process. And it seems like Theresa May may have set light to that in the space of not much more than a year.
3: Well, I I don't know. I I think if we look at the position she is in, the party is in, it's really difficult because if they do start coming out with policies and trying to reach out to minorities, they get accused of tokenism. And there is this quite open attempt to label a lot of people who voted for Brexit as racists. And again, the party has ended up, even though quite a lot of the senior Tories are not open Brexiteers, the party has ended up being left with the job of being the party of Brexit. And so you've got lots of people saying that that's, uh, to some extent at least, a racist policy. So you've got lots of things that make it very hard for for the party to try and reach out to these uh, groups. I think if you looked at what May said when she was selected as leader, a lot of people were comparing some of her messages then to Miliband as almost trying to compensate or correct some of the problems that people associated, Cameron Osborne, are being associated with, the fact that not everyone had benefited equally perhaps from some things. And again, I think some of what she was trying to do yesterday was to continue that, to go back to that. And as Scott said, this is you know, two billion more into social housing. Even the notion of social housing is it's a change for the Conservative Party in emphasis on, on the provision of social housing. Two billion uh, taking the total to nine. It's quite a big sum. Um, the tuition fees is a really difficult and I think no one would take it seriously if they reversed it anyway. Um, and of course, coming from an, a- an age when I remember Labour introducing tuition fees for me, after they mm. promised not to, and then tripling them when they promised not to. I mean, it's a difficult one for all the parties. But she's got a really difficult position. And, and of course, the, the advantage Osborne and Cameron had when they were doing this is they were in opposition. It's much easier to change your party or to refocus or to do things when you're in opposition. And I think they're still trying to learn the lessons from the election. They're still shell, shell, I can't say shell shocked to an extent, trying to get their head quite around what happened and what to do about it and it it, it, i'm afraid it is going to take time for any leader however competent to take those lessons and to work out what you can do about it Mm. uh, when something has gone so wrong i mean it's pretty rare for any government that's been in office for seven years to be able to transform itself anywhere in the world uh, and for the Conservatives to be faced with that now, any of these things are going to be pretty big challenges.
0: Yeah. So we, we, we're running low on time for this item, but I do want to return to Labour briefly before we wrap up. You know, the Labour Party is led by a leader and a shadow chancellor who is the man who provides a lot of the meat of the, you know, economic policies that would come in if if, if they got elected, who spent almost their entire careers being Uh, marginalized, and not infrequently, well, one of two things, either laughed at when they're seen as totally ineffectual or vociferously condemned when they're seen as potentially in a position to actually do meaningful harm, not just by members of the Conservative Party, but by... Everybody uh, except a very small faction of their own party. To the extent that they survived at all in political life for a while, it was because Tony Blair took the view that they were so marginal that they could afford to be left as a kind of gentle museum piece to the forces he had defeated. And everyone still thought that the biggest contribution Jeremy Corbyn was going to make to public life, even in this current incarnation, uh, would be to drive the labor party into an unusually left wing position which would then probably change politics but not in a way that led to him actually winning and and, and taking taking charge this guy is a hair's breadth away now from being the prime minister of great britain because of the victory they won at the last election in so many constituencies where they had no chance of uh, uh, of uh, of winning within you know of winning well let me put it this way they've they have, they have Gained so much ground in so many places where they were miles away from winning seats before to make those seats now marginal. That if you assume that the last election, the election in twenty fifteen, meant they were out of power for two terms, come what may, they've put themselves back in a position where any number of very small factors could lead to their victory. And a lot of the political gravity, because there's an unpopular government doing really difficult stuff in power, makes it likely that he's going to he's going to reap the benefit unless something else happens. Is this party and its leadership ready to actually run the country? Uh, Because their whole careers so far have been devoted to talking a good game. They have not had to actually deliver. They're now faced with the challenge of making themselves ready perhaps on a more accelerated timetable than they previously imagined. Everyone's going to be very pleased for five minutes if Labour wins in left-wing circles, but they could stop being very pleased if it becomes apparent that this is just not a prime-time-ready leadership team?
2: Well, you, um, I, I partially agree with the, just the question, but I think for a very different reason than what you're talking about. I don't think it's a question about, quote, left-wing labor, you know, Ideas which aren't economically sensible that we're talking about here, which would be the trope that we've talked about. I think they are onto a winner by continuing to talk about responsible public services. I think they've put the conservatives on the back foot over housing. Uh, I think they've raised the issue of concern over the future of the NHS. Whether anyone has the answer about that is a different question. I think they have kicked back in certain ways against what has been seen as too hard an immigration stance. By the Conservatives. But to drive public services and to drive what you want to do, any party has to have a functioning economy. And the functioning economy right now is not at the behest of a left versus right split, it's held hostage to Brexit. Mm. And Labor, in other words, would face the same challenge that the Tories are facing, which is are you in or out of the EU? And then answering that question on what terms are you in or out, and so far they are extremely unclear as to where they would stand with the single market, with the customs union, with the association, with the EU. And the fact is, is that until one of the two parties gives a clear answer and takes a stance on where they are in the negotiations, we are going to be in a limbo whoever would hold power in a mythical election. I mean,
0: the hope of the Labour Party, I would, I would imagine, is that the Conservative government lasts just long enough to see that through to some kind of conclusion, and then they can ride into power on the back of the collapse in popularity one way or another that results. The problem, of course, might be that if those who predict it are correct, that Brexit, whatever form it takes, precipitates a major economic downturn— yeah an anti-austerity party that's basically promising to flood all the public services and everyone else who claims they need it with new resources will come into power at a moment when the cupboard is not just bare but uh, contracting rapidly. Anthony, you're nodding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I don't quite buy the the financial
3: catastrophe of of Brexit either. It it may have uh, a... Uh, some degree of financial impact, but there's, there's so much still to happen. We don't know about that yet, but that could happen.
2: You might want but, to talk to Mark Carney at the uh, Bank of uh, England about this. You know.
3: I, I might want to talk to all these people who said about what would happen the day after Brexit and haven't have. I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen, what's what, what at all yet. So there's so much uncertainty about that, which is affecting both parties. But let's be honest, I would say the Labour divisions on Brexit are probably worse than the Conservative ones because you've got a large London vote, metropolitan elite who are passionately... Are convinced that Europe is a good thing and then you've got a lot of core Labour voting areas that voted very heavily for Brexit mm-hmm. and at the moment the party has been giving out mixed messages on what it stands for to keep them all on board but if it comes out in favour of staying in the single market in the customs union which you hear some rumours of that's basically staying in the EU that will annoy quite a lot of their supporters.
0: Although we should put Women's. a pin in that just to say that the majority of Labour voters in, <laughs> even in those Brexit constituencies are not Brexit voters, as it were. So in a first-past-the-post system, you know, there's, it, it makes at least as much sense as the opposite, if you see what I mean. Yeah, but, but the divisions of their
3: members are quite... Yeah, oh, yeah. They're, they're, that, I mean, that's absolutely the, true. The, the, the Tories, you've got divisions on what, what, what you want, but if you go and... If you, you could split the Labour Party in half in terms of those two camps, and they are very separate... Uh, I just think we shouldn't underestimate the challenges that they will face if they have to deal with any of those sort of things uh, as well, as as some of the very good points that that Scott and you have made about public services. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's, there's a long way to go still for them to to go from benefiting from a Tory party that's making Mm -hmm. a mess of running election campaigns and and the leadership to to being a party of government. Well, As
0: as the Republican Party, as we'll come to shortly in the United States, has discovered, you can... The, the, the circumstances that allow you to harvest enormous electoral gains do not guarantee in the slightest that you will be ready to do something operationally meaningful once you take over. Okay, it's time for the number of the week round where we uh, take a numeral and use it as a gateway to a world of news banter. Um, crystal la la la. Yes. Uh, Hit me with your number magic for the day.
1: My number is two, uh, which represents the two words that I want to offer to squeeze in a discussion about something that we haven't talked about this week, which is Catalonian referendum. And I, I think we
0: should do that as a full item at some point. We're just giving, giving, it, them, well, giving them a day or two to calm down. It's
1: going to roll. Uh, calm down or amp up. I'm not sure which yeah. way it's going to go. Settle but, their positions
0: maybe. Yeah. Uh, Wait till they declare independence and then we'll have a special or something.
1: So we'll consider, we'll consider my number of the week uh, as a warm-up to that, which mm-hmm. is really to, to to put across the table the WTAF. Um, entire thing that happened and the explosion of populism nationalism undue police brutality massive screw up on everyone's part mexican standoff that n- mm. no one seems to want but is going to get worse that's my number of the week not yeah. good not good in spain not good in catalonia
0: right, And i mean this is your area right like yeah. when like two communities with just don't like, do different it guys. You just don't keep like, ramping these to, things up yeah when, people, when, when two communities decide to start thinking this way about their whole situation, like it rarely portends well.
1: No, um, which means that Adam is exactly right. It is going to be a focused topic going forward. But yeah. uh, I think watch this space. And by the time that we go to air, there might even be um, they're threatening a declaration of independence, right, for tomorrow.
0: That is what they've said because they consider the result of the referendum they just had legitimate, even though it had a turnout of 42 percent, which is... Tendentious at uh, yeah. at their best. Anyway, let's save our um, save Dad. our fuller analysis for for, for for next time. Scott,
2: what have you got? Uh, my number of the week, although I say number of the month since we're just back, is actually thirteen, which is uh, close to the percentage of the vote that Alliance for Deutschland obtained in the national uh, recent national German elections, which is called all sorts of a kerfuffle. Because they are now the third largest party in German politics, and they, uh, with that percentage of the vote, are entitled to seats in the German uh, Bundestag, which uh, is the first time that a far right party has had such seats since I believe 1960. Now, that has caused wobbles, and I think just to the specter of AfD, it certainly will give them more oxygen. But I actually invoke this as another a week for a little bit of, uh, at least for me, a little bit of perspective on that. The Chancellor, I believe, is still Angela Merkel. Uh, The CDU is still the leading party, albeit with a reduced share of the vote. And while there will be those who note that the so-called mainstream parties have lost shares and that they've gone out to the fringes, it is not a sweeping defection, especially given when you think everything that Germany has gone through in recent years with the rather daring policy to take in hundreds of thousands of refugees with a stick-to-the-line policy on economics in the Eurozone And so, whereas others have seen uh, the bells ringing ominously uh, for what might happen for Germany and Europe, I think, in fact, the bells actually may be pealing for a little bit of a sense of uh, reflection here that, in fact, uh, this is not actually that significant a result leading to a further spiral downwards, but, in fact, gives a little bit of breathing space both for Germany to reflect on where it wants to go as a country Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the increasingly important question of where the EU goes as it refashions itself as the 27 rather than the 28.
0: Mm. Good stuff. I'm going to go with around 50, um, which is the number of students one would ordinarily expect uh, to attend an event organized by the University of Goldsmiths Student Union uh, down in South London, which is known as – known as the Chicken Run. Uh, this is apparently, uh, so the Daily Telegraph, uh, or the Telegraph online at least, tells me, an event in which uh, students are taken on a tour around different chicken shops in New Cross, Southeast London, with a stop for tasters at each one. The shops on the tour include Perfect Fried Chicken, Morley's Gateway, and Chick Chicken. Unfortunately, this year it has come under a... Uh, uh, fierce assault uh, from some of the students who have recently joined the, uh, joined the university, who have criticized it for uh, exotifying local culture. Uh, and in the words of a student called Shay Scott Heron Newton, who is the daughter of uh, late American jazz poet Gil Scott Heron, uh, the Daily Telegraph says they led the criticism, calling the chicken shop tour, quote, gross exotification of local working class culture. Um, I think we can imagine uh, why the Daily Telegraph might run a story of this kind because it of course uh, embodies a kind of overstated hysterical criticism of the perhaps marginally legitimate underlying issues uh, that are are raised if slightly overstated uh, by by, by that student. But uh, I thought that the Um, The most entertaining part of it was their description um, of the employees of the local chicken shops uh, who, uh, it is reported, told the Daily Telegraph that they were bemused uh, by the student outcry, which conjures in my mind the image of a Daily Telegraph journalist being forced to walk door to door around the chicken shops of South London, explain this story, possibly quoting... Uh, that, uh, that those remarks I gave to you earlier to the employees, and then obtain quotations to take back to home base. Um, I would pay uh, to be a fly on the wall uh, for some of uh, for some of those uh, golden moments, no doubt. Um, more power to you, those who are both participating in and resisting the chicken run of Goldsmiths University because you have provided great hilarity to the nation's newspaper readers with the
2: interaction between you.
3: Sounds like a good challenge for the students here.
2: Personally, I'm more interested in the number of the eventual bill to the NHS from people overindulging <laughs> in exotified chicken but, but, shops. But they're
3: getting exercise while they're walking between them, so it's, it's
1: well, a chicken space, run. they're probably yeah. being bust. Yeah, it's
0: true. Yeah. It's it's a win win. <laughs> people get to eat fried chicken. People get to be outraged about the fried chicken tour. Daily Telegraph readers get to think young people are idiots. Like, the
1: chicken shops yes. get to increase <laughs> their footfall. Yeah,
0: there are no losers as far as I can see from the wide reportage of this story. Mm. When he ran for the presidency, it was a consistent attack from Democrats and indeed uh, from his own intra party opponents that Donald Trump was not fit for office, but he won anyway. Since his inauguration, he's been beset by endless tumult and scandal, uh, some relating to his many financial conflicts of interest, some relating to allegations of Russian intelligence acting to support his campaign, and probably the majority of it relating to his apparently limitless capacity to say dumb, provocative, racist sexist and xenophobic stuff. But most of the problems he's had to deal with are of his own making, many have said. What will happen when a real crisis comes? The external world gets a vote, of course, on uh, on how you're doing. This last few weeks, they have. A dangerous standoff over North Korea's nuclear program has portended the possibility of catastrophic escalation and misjudgment overseas. But a devastating hurricane in Puerto Rico uh, which has dispossessed millions of people and the response of the executive branch has been considered uh, less than adequate in terms of either speed or substance by many. And the worst in the modern era mass shooting uh, that took place in Las Vegas has brought to the foreground all of the usual questions about gun ownership and public safety uh, with uh, even more intensity. And the president has not been able to exercise the standard rhetorical role that many tend to expect in these circumstances because he is, uh, how to put it, not good at that. Um, So uh, all of these have served to underline the fact that the president has none of the words, the management skills, or the work ethic that is customarily associated with the responsibilities of the office. Um, Scott, I want to ask you first, um, the American Republic was set up in such a way as to try and deal at least with the idea of someone who was either um, medically uh, unfit or in the grip of severe mental illness, uh, or who did something wildly, provocatively extra-constitutional, um, to, to the constitution is set up to try and deal with all of that. When you have someone in the job who just isn't up to it, like beyond the Can point of competence, put, of this put that in
1: layperson's terms. The const- the, 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 the founding fathers. Did not predict um, against the election of an idiot. So yes, I think... They, they didn't seek to, yeah, to protect I, against that's that That's a pretty one.
0: good summary. Like, if you're a criminal or a, a wannabe dictator um, or too sick to serve, these are all provided for. If you're just dumb and lazy, uh, that brings dangers with it, but there's no provision to deal with it. Um, how How is the system going to cope with having someone no one thinks is up to this in the job for a fixed time.
2: Oh man, that's such an easy question. Like, let's look into the unprecedented and come up with a, you know, a real quick fix on this one. Let me start off by diverting while I play for time to figure out something constructive with a story, which is I thought I had a unique line cuz I would go into presentations at conferences and, and Adams witnesses and I just open up with Donald Trump is an idiot, right? And I thought, wow, I got something unique here because well, no one would say that to esteemed colleagues. Right? I like to well, put that which in
1: point play. can I? Sorry, yeah. Adam, but until which point were you saying this? as the I want to know when was the tipping point for when everyone started? Go walking into conferences saying, by the way, Donald Trump is an idiot. Well, I was the one, you know, I,
2: was the, I thought he I was would. the first one saying it. I thought I'd crossed the line no one else would yet cross, yeah. right? I'd,
0: I'd like to put a, put a marker down for yeah. the hashtag that I began during the transition period, which yeah. was can't just say he's dumb, which was a collection of quotations from mainstream yeah. newspapers where they would in some roundabout or euphemistic way imply that he was either lacking in all the nuances of policy <laughs> yeah. knowledge or not engaging with the issues in the way that is traditionally of a president, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing that on social media, though, right? I mean, we're right. talking about, you know, we're, we're You're academic,
0: going to look at them in the whites of the eye. Yeah, kind of we're at an academic
2: term. conference. Everybody's using big, like, five, six-syllable words and so on. <laughs> it's like, okay, here's my academic presentation. Man's an idiot, right? Boom, right? And then, you know, I thought I had some position here. And in the past week, we've had the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, confirmed by multiple sources to have said that Donald Trump is not just an idiot. He is an effing moron. <laughs> And then we've had Senator Bob Corker, one of the leading Republicans, who's now just going to bail out of Congress because he can't take it anymore, saying that, thank God for Tillerson and Jim Mattis, the defense secretary, and chief of staff John Kelly, because they're what separates America from chaos. So it's like now, you know, the emperor uh, has ill-fitting clothes but has a distinct lack of common (laughs) sense. Is sort of out there, but still, and this is where I, I face the crux of the matter, people are scared, or at least the Republican Party is still scared, that he carries a strong enough base of support, even if it's a minority base, that we're not going to get to the crux of the matter. So let me just add one more thing that happened this week to throw into the mix, and that is, is that you know Mike Pence, the vice president, who's thought to be more of a pragmatist, albeit an uber-conservative pragmatist, mm-hmm. you know where I'm going with this because you're smiling. His chief of staff tells donors of the Republican National Committee, look, if there are any Republicans who are soft in Congress and are not going to support the president, we're going to to put up money against them. We're going to run people against them. We're going to strike them down with the wrath of a conservative God. So in other words, rather than sort of rallying politically and saying, all right, we need to pass a budget, we need to pass a decent tax plan, we need to get smart on immigration rather than doing all that, The Republicans in Congress so far are still apparently tied to Trump. So the breaking point, breaking point, unless there is a huge defection because he can't get a budget passed, uh, it'll have to come out of the Russia investigation, and there we're talking about, well, it takes months to assemble the evidence. Will that happen before the 2018 midterms? The savior of the system, Special Counsel Bob Mueller, that's who the saviour of the system is at this point. It's come down to that.
0: Mm. Anthony, you're teaching American domestic politics this term, if I'm not mistaken. I've got um, the easier task of the foreign policy. <laughs> um, what, uh, no. uh, what the hell are you telling them all? Um, well, what's uh, your perspective on this sort of occupant versus of responsibilities of office t- yeah, well, separation?
3: I, mean, I find it a, a little bit a, a little bit difficult, and I'm certainly not going to defend Trump, but one of the things, I'm slightly conscious that, and again, Scott mentions the minority base of passionate support he does have, and we mustn't get carried away with the the British perspective and the East Coast perspective that everything Trump does is awful. Uh, most of it is. But at the same time, it's just the unpredictability of it that I think is perhaps most interesting, because if you look at his trip to Puerto Rico, full of crass comments uh, and widely seen as a disaster, but so far from looking at the American media this morning, his trip to Vegas has been much uh, better received uh, he's been seen empathizing with victims uh, he's comfortable in the company of the uh, the, the security um, uh, services that the police and uh, and military and so on uh, and that visit so far from what i saw this morning seems to have been considered a, a presidential success cnn was referring to him being presidential unlike before and this again it, it muddies things a little bit because if you're looking at it you've got to put in you've got to cope with someone who can be appallingly crass and incompetent one week and then say the right things in an American context and I'm leaving gun control aside for a second but with the victims he can be seen to say the right thing and again that makes it hard as well for people who his own side to criticize him if he can get some things right and some things wrong it's the worst of all worlds in some ways you can do
0: just enough to hold yourself together to not get I mean if he
3: got everything wrong they'd want to get rid of him but
0: he doesn't He Function just well enough. Matt Taibbi wrote a good thing about, about that recently, just that he's just far enough away from being crazy and just far enough away from being unable to function that he can survive, but he's still completely light years away from being able to do the job fully.
2: Yeah, but that won't last.
1: There's two things about that. One is that the, he's established this trend of a complete screw-up followed by some emergency CPR by whoever the PR and policy people that are left around him mm. that kind of hold him sticky tape, the straw man together, and he comes out and, mm. you know, and everything is okay, and everything is okay, and I use inverted commas around that because the bar is so, so, so low. And the second is that, <clears throat> one, I mean, he's he screwed up for want of a much better term in puerto rico because he does not he patently does not care about the the kind of lesser communities um that 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 puerto rico represents and right,
0: so- like puerto rico is part of the united states but it is not incorporated as a state so they don't vote in federal elections uh, it's it's are u.s citizens um but uh, it is Spanish-speaking, and it is an island offshore, and for all of these reasons, clearly it was, one suspects it was news to Donald Trump that it was his responsibility, and he still conti- it he continues Bank. to talk about it still as though he was being asked for an aid donation mm-hmm. to a foreign country in mm-hmm. the Caribbean. Can as you imagine to- that
1: conversation? No, 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 Mr. President, that that's our responsibility. I mean, it would have been, if you talk about fly on the wall, it would have been fascinating to be part of that conversation. So that's the second thing. It's that it is not just a rehabilitation of his reputation. Let's let's name it for what it is. It's the utter racism of, of Puerto Rico that, uh, that is contrasted against the kind of, and I don't want to use the term rehabilitation of his reputation in Las Vegas and some kind of empathy for the victims. That, to me, stands in far... Those two occasions were starkly contrasted because of the underlying politics of each situation.
2: Mm. I mean, I, I'd go a bit further. I mean, Anthony makes some very good points about, you know, it it can ebb and flow. But really, first I realized realise that... Just as it was in January, where he delivered a very scripted de facto state of the union address, uh, and just as when he initially corrected the course after Charlottesville by reading a, a scripted address before he went off the rails the following day, it's basically like well if he can't if he doesn't wet his pants and he doesn't shoot a bystander, he's presidential that's yeah. the the bar we've gotten to the problem is as happened after Charlottesville, as happened when he went. Did not, would not talk about Puerto Rico for days because he had this obsession about the National Football League and but, the take of the knee.
1: And also because he probably wasn't watching it on CNN at the time. Fox. Fox watching on Fox. Fox. That's yes, I, that's right. It, CNN you is you not watch, there. By
2: Saturday morning, and this is why I mean, by Saturday morning you watch this, this is where you can, the predictable, the unpredictable will happen. He has no minder on him on Saturday morning. He gets up, he watches Fox News, and that's his heavy Twitter day. And someone actually raised a very interesting point in a conversation with him. Not only is John Kelly, the chief of staff, not minding him, but it may be that Jared and Ivanka aren't keeping mind on him on Saturday mornings, um, you know, on the weekend, on the the Jewish Jewish weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And so he will go ballistic on Saturday morning, as he did last weekend, where he waged this campaign against the San Juan mayor over the Puerto Rico when she called for relief. And that's going to undo everything that's happened you just wonder, and I think this is what Adam's question was leading us to, is when the tipping point is reached within the system. Mm. Um, and, I, I, again, I think it's almost going to watch this space. It's sort of an interesting thing comparing it to the British politics. Much more mannered here, much more decent in terms of – I don't know, of, I just, I don't know about that. That's,
0: that's a rosy view manners P- make publicly.
2: The, manners maketh the man and woman, as Colin Firth would say, much more decent <laughs> when you you know dispose of the leader, right? In this case, it's like you see a Bob Corker Mm -hmm. defect. We know that John McCain has already effectively bolted. You see if there's just a few more who peel away, and then we ask this question in maybe a month or two. Because let's let's be honest here. The the underlying thing about this is while the man is in office, there has not been a single piece of major legislation passed. Mm -hmm. And if you are a party like the Republican Party, at some point you've got to think, can we actually – continue to ride on a you know, claim to legitimacy based on that.
0: And I think it's, it's important um, that we keep an eye on the idea of Donald Trump as the the final realization of a bunch of bigger trends that that, that have been going on within the Republican Party. I was listening this week. Um, uh, Ezra Klein did an interview on his on his show uh, with Norm Ornstein, Thomas Mann, and uh, E.J. Dion, who've co-authored a book about this. Mann and Ornstein wrote a book, maybe... 10 years, slightly less than 10 years ago, um, that was about their decades in the making experts on congressional institutions and government, and their argument was that Congress has become fundamentally broken, which is to say incapable of carrying out effectively the business of legislating. And that has a lot of reasons. Um, some of them to do with how the Constitution is written and whatnot. But they got into a lot of heat at the time for arguing that there was a, a an asymmetrical problem within the Republican Party, that the kinds of candidates that were being generated – and elected to Congress through Republican Party primaries were increasingly people who were either incapable or unwilling to engage in the mechanics of responsibly and sensibly governing the country. There are many villains. Newt Gingrich is one of them from the mid-1990s who decided to start mounting kind of oppositional, uh, uh, rhetorically very fiery anti-government campaigns uh, which meant that you got candidates who were often very shallow in their grasp of the issues and extremely militant in their opposition to all forms of uh, government and authority, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this this trend is kind of built and built and built within the congressional party, with the party still kind of controlled by um, relatively establishment-esque people whose priorities are still. Uh, you know, tax cuts for the rich and small state ideological conservatism, but trying to mobilize and make use of that furious anti-government sentiment among the base to get votes. What seems to have happened in the last few years is that the dam has broken in a way. The capacity of that leadership group to harvest these votes by appealing to those sentiments while holding onto the party for their own ends uh, has been shattered. Like Donald Trump... Uh, Was once characterized the the way they interact with Donald Trump when they talk to him um, uh, was described as being like uh, when they meet an angry person at one of their own like district like meet the voters district things like like they're meeting the voter like a an old white guy who watches too much TV doesn't really understand the issues and is super angry about a bunch of like incoherent and changing stuff Uh, and you know so. In a sense, it is totally unprecedented that we have someone who can't do the job because he doesn't have the temperament or the, or, or the mastery of the brief in position. But that is, first of all, the culmination of the presidential level of a trend that's been building with more and more people like that in and around Congress. And it's probably only going to get worse. Like Maybe Donald Trump is an especially colourful Version of not knowing what you're doing and uh, being incapable of responsibly exercising the brief, but you know, we're seeing uh, the, the the Senate primary uh, for the Republican Party just happened in Alabama. The candidate down there is. And this is not overstatement, like a militant theocrat uh, who doesn't know anything much about anything except what the Bible says and his ideas about how it should be rolled out in public policy. And he's totally different from Donald Trump in that specific regard. Donald Trump's not a theocrat, but they do have in common the idea that they're appealing to – you know. without, for, for want of a better term, the kind of crazy intemperate part of the electorate and stoking that aspect of the electorate that they're appealing to. So Donald Trump's going to go away at some point if we're all still here. Uh, we will celebrate it. But I have a horrible feeling we may be locking in for a longer period of people who basically aren't fit for the job, uh, rising higher than previous more controlled eras of party government would have, would have allowed.
2: Let me throw that into the mix and look at Anthony. I want to make him feel better about the Conservative Party conference. Uh, in, in a way, uh, that Roy Moore primary victory, when in Alabama, was the first contest between what you would call the establishment Republicans, like Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, and then the alt right, uh, which is you know, the, the very arch conservative, sometimes conspiracist, quote, economic nationalist views represented by Steve Bannon who was the White House chief of staff under Trump, was dismissed because he was so far off the rails um, and now heads up the very, very poisonous site, Breitbart. So this split within the Republican Party, having said that it is up to Republicans, I think, in Congress to try to find a way to work with Democrats or to distance themselves with Trump, I think that is my worry, that if they then think, well, we have to defend our seats against the head cases mm-hmm. and the crazies, They suck up to Bannon. They suck up to the alt-right.
0: Right. And Um, because they... Sorry, just one last thing. I mean, they have had for a very long time the view that you can somehow manipulate this thing, that you can can take advantage of it, and then at some point, when you don't like it anymore, when you're not having fun or getting yours, Mm -hmm. you can go, okay, this far and no further. Now is when we need to bring the standard in. And... Uh, I, I think uh, JFK was quoted on that Ezra Klein podcast. But I'll do it again. Like people who ride uh, a tiger uh, in order to get to power tend to end up inside it. Mm. Um, this is a very dangerous philosophy, and you know people like Paul Ryan and um, Mitch McConnell, I think, are on the uh, on the dangerous uh, end of the arc now vis-a-vis that metaphor. Yeah, yeah well, I, 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 it's, it's a similar point, really, in terms
3: of as scott sort of mentioned and you've mentioned this isn't a new phenomenon the polarization of america has been building for a long time and both parties to extent an extent contribute to that but of course you've got a self-reinforcing uh, aspect now it's not just that uh, the parties can, can't control this i'm not sure they ever understood quite what they were doing you've got a lot of short-term electoral opportunism here whether it's appealing to, to the religious base back in nixon's day and uh Falwell or or bush doing it more recently and now you've got this you're you're polarizing your base to support you as trump has done very effectively but then not only can you not control them but it's you you can't do anything to reverse that and the other parties as well i mean you've got no dialogue at all between people in some cases i was talking to a, a friend from upstate new york a very liberal friend and that's a liberal area and people don't speak to the conservative uh, mm. minded people anymore it's it's so polarized that, as you say it's very hard to see quite how you get away from this especially in a system which needs compromise and the degree of consensus to do very much
1: let me the- tell you how we get away from this Oprah Winfrey in two words <laughs> 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 this Oprah is the person us. yes Oprah will save us in the in the next uh, election as a democratic candidate which <laughs> she looks like she's edging towards yeah yeah she's making noises I
0: love the quotation that she gave about that which is that she had been asked many times before if she was going to run for office but she always said to herself, well, I don't think I I know enough, I don't think I have enough experience, and now I look at the situation and I think,
1: well... (laughs) (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, you know, we're joking, but I'm also half serious. Maybe the person to bring consensus and and to Hmm. combat this popularism is a...
0: And she would probably be less less bad than Donald Trump in the sense that, like, I... I don't imagine she would come in and like...
1: That's
3: something to put on her
0: leaflets. I don't imagine she would appoint Dr. Phil as the Secretary of State for, for, for Health or, or and whatnot in this kind of like amateur hour way that Donald, that Donald Trump has run some of his business. But still, it would probably be a, a, a bad sign. The, the main point I wanted to make is that although it is certainly an asymmetrical problem at the moment, I think the Republican Party is... Uh, in a far more dysfunctional state in terms of its uh, internal politics and ideology than is the Democratic Party, there is absolutely no inherent reason why this kind of uh, irresponsible and intemperate approach to governing and public policy is the preserve of the right, Um, and therefore, especially given the electoral incentives, if we are to be in an era of of, of maximum polarisation and base mobilisation – the incentives will be there for the left to try something similar. And those of us who are to the left of center in our sympathies but who do not like that way of doing business need to be very aware of that and on guard against it.
2: I I, I, I agree with you about polarizing America, but I want to be a little bit cautious here because I've, I've seen this game played out politically. You know, if you're talking about... You know, really out there on the left. Remember, you're talking about Bernie Sanders. Now, that actually means that things like single-payer health care is what we're considering the far left American politics. I don't think Sanders and his followers are a, a threat to the union.
0: No, I don't. Th- I don't think Bernie Sanders is. But like, if you you know if you, If you go into some internet forum where the supporters of Bernie Sanders would talk about the kind of movement they would like to build and the approach that it would have to the institutions of government, you know there 's some pretty out there stuff. So the question would be when Bernie Sanders, who is old and has been around a very long time and has been committed to these institutions a very long time, is gone, and the space opens up for. You know, someone new Uh, I don't know radicalism is not the preserve of the right that's the only point you talk about Tammy
2: Duckworth out of Illinois you talk about Al Franken out of Minnesota You know, former TV star but quite a good politician but but they're
0: all the establishment people that would be the equivalent of saying like what about Ted Cruz or what about Marco Rubio the the, problem is it could be someone you've never heard of before who has no qualifications and no temperament who comes in from the outside and somehow bulldozes through even though we don't think that let's
2: spice this up because producer Connor likes it real quick and so on and because my auntie uh, hi auntie is worried about this and so on she tends to hit me up every couple days about antifa right the anti-fascist movement and antifa of course is the specter they are a very real specter in that this is a relatively small group but they make themselves visible at protest by trying to stir up trouble confronting the police uh, for example agitating the uh, the protest at berkeley over free speech now i've got no truck with that wing of Antifa, but that is a very, very limited minority of those who have come out to challenge, and this is key. I know they're out there on the internet. They do not have a news outlet like a Breitbart or like, let's name them, Fox News, right? to represent that type of, quote, French politics. In other words, there's an imbalance. Do you say fringe politics or
0: French politics? Just no, fr- the,
2: the French actually come off well in this. We can <laughs> talk about that next week. You know, to me, it, when you have, in a sense, a comparison between the agitation of Antifa versus the, Antifa, the agitation of Fox News, I know the first challenge I want to meet. So it's not dismissing what Antifa is. Right. But it's much...
0: I... I, I... Your argument is one opposed to false equivalence, um, and I would absolutely agree with it because I don't think that the two, as I said, are remotely comparable in scale at the moment. But I'm just saying that it would be wise not to be complacent about the level of sobriety and responsibility that pervades in the Democratic Party, being somehow like metaphysically unshakable relative to this insanity that's gone on in the Republican Party. It is a problem that could well manifest in the future and it is more likely to manifest if we brush off every incipient sign of it as simply uh, a tiny irrelevant fringe because you know, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of people around in the 1970s Republican Party who thought very much the same and look where we've ended up. Anyway, we've set the world to rights, I think. Uh, let's, uh, let's draw a line under it there, shall we? Thank you very much for listening. Listeners old, listeners new. We hope you will return to us. Uh, you can follow the Political Worldview podcast on Twitter, at Paul Worldview, and please do. Uh, you can also subscribe to us, and I would implore you to do this. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating or a comment on there, because that helps more people discover the pod. And share it on social media. Tell people, hey, I discovered this amazing new thing that's going on um, uh, I listened to it. Uh, uh, I've decided that I'm going to keep listening to it. You should, too. Put the word out there. We would really appreciate it. We have a, a page on Facebook as well, facebook.com forward slash poll worldview, where you can see links to the episodes, comments, articles, shares, etc. Recommend, share, uh, put the word about. We would appreciate it. Personal favor to all of us. We'll give you a signed autograph from whichever member of the team you like most if you uh, if you can prove to us. You can even f- get
1: a team yeah, T shirt, exactly. we'll frame it for you.
0: If you if you're prepared to a- that's a resource implication bearing uh, <laughs> promise, Cristala. But we'll We're we'll, we'll, we'll flash, give it Adam, we'll, we'll give it we'll give it serious thought.
1: We're populous.
0: Send us send us uh, uh, send us evidence that you have done that, and we will give it very serious thought. Um, our participants today have been Scott Lucas. Where can people find you on the internet, Scott?
2: Well, you can hit me up on Facebook, on Twitter at Scott Lucas underscore EA. Or at that news and analysis site and partner of Political Worldview, eaworldview.com, with specialist sections on EA United States, EA Britain and Europe, and EA Birmingham.
1: EA is expanding. Yeah, your are like
2: rabbits. They're breeding uh, <laughs> out of
0: control. Cristala. Yes. Hello. Where can people find you? They
1: can I? find me at uh, on Twitter at, at @yakinthou, which is uh, for old times' sake y a k i n t h o u, and at the university. Should you feel like coming to and show
0: up at your That's office right. door. I don't know. We, I know we don't have a massive <laughs> listenership, Christella, but I think that might be a bold invitation you to, uh, to issue to who we do have. I
1: do have coffee and biscuits. Of course. I even have tea. Oh, I'm becoming British.
0: Anthony, uh, can people find you online or are you drowned out by the legendary Welsh actor in, uh, uh in all Google searches? I do get a lot of that surprisingly still.
1: Do you get uh, offers?
0: No, I wish.
3: Um, I wish no uh, I do have Twitter at, at AJH132 but I tend to tweet more about Catchy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I set it up very early on before I realised what was happening and I tend to only treat, tweet about cricket and gardening with politics occasionally so you'll have to be very old and dull to want to follow me
0: well no shortage of people like that out there maybe, <laughs> maybe some of them will think about being our listeners the more than merry yes indeed um, I'm Adam Quinn. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm Adam Quinn161 on there if you want. And the guy standing next to Lyndon Johnson in the photograph. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Adam James Quinn, although I use that far less often and exclusively for self-promotion. So if you want to <laughs> see what I'm doing on, uh, on a more day-to-day basis, I recommend following me on Facebook. Our producer is Connor McKenna. Uh, you've been listening to us from the Political Science Department at the University of Birmingham in England, and we are supported by the generous financial contributions of the University of Birmingham alumni impact fund many salutes and salutations to them it is deeply appreciated we'll be back soon we very much hope you will be too bye bye